and welcome to the latest edition of Have I Got Moves For You, the dairy podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian and CMEX. I'm Farmers Guardian Livestock Editor Katie Jones and in this podcast we are aiming to shine a spotlight on the people that make the dairy industry tick. So make sure you subscribe to the pod via your favourite podcast provider. In this episode I speak to Patrick Morris-Eyton, Patrick farms with his parents, Robert and Rowena, at Beckside Farm near Millham in Cumbria. The family have recently invested heavily in a new 350-cow facility and 54-point rotary milking parlour, all built on a greenfield site. With a keen eye on the future, 27-year-old Patrick and his family have made this investment to future-proof the long-term viability of the business. The new cubicle sheds have cow health and welfare firmly in mind, And the new state-of-the-art milking parlour is not only more comfortable for the operator, but has also led to calmer cows and higher milk yields. Here, Patrick talks to me about what drove him and his family to make these changes on investment, what he has learnt along the way, and what the end goal for the farm is. Covid-19 has dominated all our lives, both personally and in business. However, the call for a cleaner environment has not gone away. The demand of our consumers is stronger than ever. The unknown that goes with Brexit remains. So at CMEX, we understand the need to build a healthy, productive herd is essential. Boldly go forward with CMEX and do what you do best, producing an immunity boost in a glass. To find out more about CMEX, visit www.cmex.co.uk. Patrick, welcome to the latest Have I Got Moves For You podcast. It's great to speak to you. I'm sure many of our listeners will be really interested in the recent changes to the infrastructure and the investment made by you and your family into your farming business. So to start with, could you tell the listeners a bit about the business at Beckside Farm? So here at Beckside, we're 650 acres owned, plus we have common grazing on Blackcomb Fell. We're milking 350 pedigree Holsteins and we've got 800 breeding ewes which run up on the fell. We're all year round calving, averaging just over 11,000 litres of cow at the minute, trying to push on towards 12,000. Predominantly grass-based forage. We haven't grown maize yet, we're going to have a go at it. And then we've done the new dairy unit in the last 12 months. So just tell us a bit more about, about the new dairy unit and, and the investment and what that's involved. So about two years ago, we decided to our old parlour was starting to be a bit old. It was 25-year-old, 12, 24, uh, herringbone, and we were struggling to get the throughput of cows with the amount of milk we were doing and number of cows going through the shed. So we started looking at robots and we got a long way down the road towards robots, even had the grant application ready to go. But we decided to look again at other milking options. We looked at rapid exits and we then went on to look at rotaries, which for me was, ne- well, I'd been told it was never an option here because it'd have to be a greenfield site. We started looking at the rapid exits, but you still couldn't get the throughput of cows per one man. And then so we started, we thought, well, we'll have a look at rotaries see what happens and when we spoke to Waikato they said that we could definitely do 200 cows per hour for one labour unit while milking which that was kind of a prerequisite of ours 
but that would mean a greenfield site. The old cubicle sheds were built in, started with in the 60s and then obviously been updated and what have you, but still not ideal. So we made the leap to do a greenfield site and expand cow numbers, which was always something I wanted to do anyway, but where we were, we were hemmed in by the road on one side, the hill on another side and a river on the other side. So there wasn't really anywhere we could go. Picked a good site, we think. It screened nicely, it had the right amount of fall, the levels worked well for us, and we had stone within a banking that we were taking out in there, so we didn't bring in any stone other than what was in the concrete. We went for planning permission on the 18th of December 2018. It was granted on the 15th of March 2019, and we started digging on the 18th of March 2019. We're milking on the 19th September. Quite a, a rapid period of, of building went on then. And what was the main drivers for doing that? Obviously, it's a, it's a family farm, and I believe you had worked away shepherding, is that correct? Yeah, I worked with pedigree blackies up in Scotland for a year straight after school. And then, and so what was the, the main drivers for your family to, to go down this route? A lot of it was with the parlour being 25-year-old, starting to be a bit tired, and if I hadn't have been interested, we would have carried on with that and just sort of updated it and here and there and did what needed doing. But I, I'm i interested in the cows. I, well, I love the cows and working with them. So we made the decision to invest and go forward. We're on an ARLA contract, which again is very helpful, but we've been on it since the end of Milk Marketing Board. So we've had the loyalty right through, which price wasn't always at the top, but it's there now and it's given us the confidence to keep pushing forward. And obviously there must have been quite a lot of research that went into this. So, you know, it's probably a once-in-a-lifetime investment. So where where did you get your inspiration from and your ideas from? Did you visit a lot of dairy farms? Yeah, well, I've been around quite a few with different sort of almost little tour groups that I'm in and discussion groups. And then when we started speaking to parlour dealers, went around quite a few different farms like Grosvenor and numerous other ones with rotaries and what have you. It's loosely based around the Grosvenor design with the gaps between the sheds and the two-row barns and things like that. Not exactly, but it's loosely based around that kind of idea. And what's the thinking behind the gaps between the sheds then? Ventilation. So to have... For natural air ventilation, same gap between the sheds is what the actual shed is. Otherwise, you're blocking air coming through. And what did you learn during the development process? Ooh, um, <laughs> a lot, very quickly. So probably actually the biggest one would be just man management. We were Some days we had up to 10 teams on site and we were managing it ourselves. My dad is a land agent and we have our own construction business. So we already had quite a lot of the know-how in a lot of respects, but we brought in teams of specialists to do things like, obviously, the parlour, concrete work, things like that. So, yeah, probably man management and sort of having everything ready at the right time, especially on such a tight schedule. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, but having gone through that process and knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would have done differently? Not a lot yet, no. There's... Probably only one bit I'd alter in the sheds and that would just be put a row of slats about a bay down in the collecting yard because most of the cows, that's where they make a mess at the top end when they're going onto the parlour. Other than that, we're pretty happy with it at the minute. 
there's nothing glaringly obvious that we would change. I'm sure there will be in time to come, but we're still we're not even twelve months in yet, just about to be. But we're very happy very happy with it so far. Good. And could you describe to the listeners the design of the cubicle shed? Yeah, so the cubicle shed is 120 metres long by 25 metres wide. It's two rows of head-to-head cubicles feeding on the outside, four metres to the eaves, I think it is, or it might be four and a quarter, I can't remember because we altered it. 20 degree pitch roof, no skylights because they act, we don't want to act as a greenhouse effect. So we, it keeps it much cooler in there compared to in the parlour shed, which has skylights in it. Then there's was there, there's a crossover at each end and then two more crossover passages as well. And at each of the crossover passages, except the very top ones, there's a row of slats. So we scrape out with a telehandler with a store hydraulic like opening scraper instead of having automatic. So they drop down every third. There's a row of slats. 16 water troughs in there. So they've got plenty of water. Eight cow brushes. The outer passages, so feed passages, are five metres wide. The middle one is four and a half metres wide. Then there's two metres of fall on the whole shed. It's 120 mil per bay for the whole shed and the six metre bays, which the site lent itself to that. But we also wanted it to get rid of the liquid out of the like muck um, so it doesn't build up. There's no puddling and it keeps the cows cleaner, definitely. Then we've got Wilson pasture mats with the 40 mil foam and the yellow top cover in the cubicles. And then we bed with sawdust, not the super fine stuff because it blows away, just sort of freshly sawn but fine sawdust. And that keeps pretty clean and the cows are very comfortable. There's plenty of people have been seeing it that are used to sand ones and they still think that sand's better, but these are very, very close behind. But we don't want didn't want sand for our slurry system, it wouldn't work. And then the slurry's all on gravity, so there's a out of each row of slats, there's a pipe going down to the next row and then down to the bottom, which is then a cross channel to the bottom parlour building and then a pipe going down to the lagoon. And how about the parlour? Because I believe that's that's quite a special parlour, isn't it, as well? Well, we think it is. It's a Waikato 54-point rotary with the centrist deck, which instead of being a concrete deck like most parlours, it's composite fibreglass. It's only about an inch and a half thick, if that but it's 85% lighter than concrete, so less wear on the running gear and need less power to move it. It runs literally on one set of drive wheels, so it's massive saving for power. And also it doesn't pit the same as concrete, like with chemicals on it. So every cow has a rubber mat in its stall, in its stall. and then it has the heavy-duty bales as well instead of the lightweight ones. So it looks quite, yeah, it looks the part. And then on top of that, we've got ACRs, automatic deck sprayers, bale retention, and we've got a DTEC system, which does automatic conductivity testing on every quarter before it actually milks properly, which we found so far, we're still just getting the sensitivity where we want it, but on the whole, we're very happy with it, and it'll pick up mastitis before people do generally. Obviously, the odd crazy one that comes up fast like E. coli but everything else it picks up pretty well yeah that's about it I think (laughs) obviously there's been 
the the cubicles have got cow comfort in mind the the parlor um is is automated what impact has this had on yields and what impact has it had on herd health well first it's meant that we could go three times a day because of the speed at which we can milk the cows we can milk night milkers they only do the main herd they don't do any hospital pen cows or anything like that and they can be in milked and gone washed out in an hour and a half which is 300 cows done so it makes it much nicer for people to operate it because you're not there for three hours a day trudging along because that's what we were doing we were doing three and a half hours each end of the day on twice a day in the old parlor we're now doing it in less time, but milking, another whole milking. Um, milk's gone up by, so far, a 1,000 litres of cow, average. And we could push them a bit harder on the feeding, but we're just holding them at the minute. Just the first cuts, it's good stuff, but we've just had a few issues with it, just going through them a bit too fast. And then the cow comfort, we've definitely seen a lot less lameness. We had, obviously, a little bit of a spell at the start with new concrete, a bit of white line and ulcers, but that's cleared up, and on the whole, it's pretty good now. We put a hoof count foot bath in, which has dealt with all the digi problem. I say all of it. There wasn't a massive amount, but we see next door to nothing now, which is great. And, yeah, so the cows, they show bulling signs a lot stronger as well, which must mean that they're comfortable and happy with the floor. It's been roll well, kind of a printer roller, um squares like paving on it which is the collecting yard and all the walkways and the cows they charge around the cubicle shed when they go back in just have a bit of a yeah mad 10 minutes so they must be pretty happy with it you know you, you made the investment into the facilities the cubicle shed the parlor what about the cows how did you go about because obviously you've expanded you've, you've increased numbers so how did you go about doing that well Originally, we weren't going to be buying in because we'd been a closed herd for 30 years. But the opportunity came. Friend's dad was selling up their cows due to health problems. So we got the opportunity to buy the whole herd right down to little calves and everything. So I went and looked at them. They would fit our system perfectly. Similar cows, maybe a little bit more typey, more of a show type, but still very, very good cows and hardworking as well. And they've fitted in seamlessly. We They arrived 10 days earlier than they were meant to do, but that was because of the health problems. Um, so we had to milk them through the old parlour for 10 days, which made it about four and a half hours milking each end of the day. <laughs> so I wasn't a very popular person for a week. <laughs> but they were the first ones to go onto the parlour, onto the rotary, and they took to it. First milking, we had to push them on, because obviously it was shiny, didn't smell of cows. Second one... They needed a little bit of persuasion, but nothing like the first night and the third time they were running on. So it's been great. It was actually teaching them to get off was the bigger problem. They wanted to stay on for the ride. Oh, they love it. They're much more settled on the rotary than they ever were in the herringbone. We had two two heifers in the herringbone that would kick and they were getting close to having to go because they were vicious with it. Like If you didn't get a kick bar on them, they would have you on the way past if you weren't even touching them. As soon as they went on the rotary, they never kicked once. And why do you think that is? Why do you think they prefer the rotary? They can see all their friends, for starters. They've got their own stall, so there's no big cow pushing in against them. And the movement, I think, as well helps a bit. They just seem to be very settled, very calm. And even like our heifers now, when they go on third milking, and they're very chilled. So it's great. Fantastic. 
you're milking about 350 cows at the moment. Is the plans to take numbers up or is that about where you want to have it? Well, there's, there's 350 in the herd at the minute, so there's 300 going through the parlour. Target is to be 350 through the parlour in the next six months, something like that. We've got a lot of heifers coming in. After that, we'll have a little bit of time to just let it settle. We've got a new car shed we need to build pretty urgently, but that'll happen. And then the plan is to hopefully go on again, another shed the same. So go up to 700 going through the parlour, 800 in the herd. But if we can get planning permission, because we are in the Lake District, that could be an issue. Um, So we'll just see, see where we go from there. So, and you've got the the fantastic facilities and, and the cows to go with it, but what about the staff? Have you had any issues um, in your area getting staff and how do you attract them and how do you then retain them? Generally, we haven't. We've got a herdsman who's very good. He's been with us for just coming up 41 years next month. And then our assistant herdsman, he's been with us 18 years, I think it is, and is very good. And then we've had Two people start for us last year. One was an apprentice for us years ago, but has come back to work for us now and so is looking after the younger end of the calves and then doing a lot of cow work and everything. And then another lad who's probably more of the tractor driver. And we've not had a problem finding staff and we try and look after them best we can, be flexible with them, try not to make it so they're having to work too long or hours because it's not fair on anyone nowadays. The main lot that like there's three of them start at five in the morning and they will be finished, gone home by four o'clock in the afternoon, which is much nicer hours than what they were doing in the old parlour because they were sort of not finished until six. So I think they appreciate that more because in the afternoon they can spend more time with their grandkids or kids, whatever they've got, and families. So they seem to be happier with that. And it seems to work for us as well, so can't can't complain at all. And then for the evening milkings, like it's nine to eleven, so it's not crazy late. Um, well, I say it's nine to eleven. They're often gone in an hour and a half, but we pay for two hour shift. If they go over, we pay accordingly. But we've got people queuing up for that. It's just a nice thing, easy thing to do for a couple of hours in the evening when most people just be sat on the sofa asleep. Fair enough. <laughs> And obviously there's a lot of talk at the moment about the sustainability of farming and, and dairy farming is, is you know important to that. So how are you demonstrating that you are meeting that green agenda? What, what, what are you doing on farm to make sure that you are as sustainable as you can be? Firstly, we've got a hydroelectric scheme, which we put it, I installed in 2012. And even with the new rotary which obviously uses more power than the herringbone did we can still only use about two-thirds of what that produces a year obviously different time of year whether the hydro is running or not like through that dry spell in summer it wasn't running but we import then but we export when there's plenty of water so it's and it swings and roundabouts but generally we can't use it all so we're actually we're a net exporter and then we've also got our cooling system we've put in is an exchanger cooling system for the milk So it is a heat exchanger and takes the heat from the milk, heats water. So we need less power to heat the wash water because it already has it to about 50 degrees. And then it also acts as underfloor heating for changing rooms and the office 
and we've got a hot air blower onto cups on through winter so that is heat that we otherwise we would have had to buy in essentially and we get um the heat incentive on that as well so we get paid for producing that which is a benefit for us because it is a, it's a more costly system to put in but it's definitely more green because we're not having to use anywhere near the same power to get everything up to heat so obviously you mentioned earlier that you've also got sheep on the farm so how does that sit alongside the dairy side of the business uh, it works quite well so there's 800 breeding ewes they run on the common grazing probably 80 to 90 percent of the year other than tupping and lambing time they're quite good through winter they clear up the grass that we've got on the silage ground such like we sell all our <clears throat> like male lambs as stores so we don't have too many mouths on the ground through winter so we can look after the ground better and we've got it's probably nearly 100 acres that you could crop but you wouldn't want to crop so that's generally down in sheep ground probably more towards 200 actually so they sort of balance between the sheep the dry cows and the heifers it seems to work quite well but we used to until we decided to do the expansion we had a cross you flock as well in the, that were in by full time in the fields they went to make way for more silage for the cows and more cows but we did expand the hill flock as well but it seems to work quite well we're just sort of seeing where the actual perfect balance between the two is but because it's common grazing we don't pay for it so it'd be stupid not to utilize that grazing rights we have and you mentioned that the next project sounds like a, a calf shed um so what's and obviously cow numbers will hopefully increase but what's the end goal where do you see the business going and where would you like to take it oh now that's a good question <laughs> depends whether you're talking to me and my dad um <laughs> i would like to obviously new calf shed another milk cow shed probably want a fresh cow and sort of carver shed as well in the future when we up numbers so once we get to there probably maybe look at taking down some of the older buildings and redoing them to make them more efficient and optimum for young stock and far off dry cows and such like after that not completely sure yet just depends what opportunities come our way we are quite flexible regarding opportunities. My dad's a land agent, so I've learned quite well to be open-minded on that kind of thing. Did Well, we do have a construction business. We don't do a lot through it at the minute, but we were doing hydroelectric scheme construction for probably about six years. So, yeah, we'll just wait and see what opportunities come, really. If you were to give anyone some advice about making these changes, making this massive investment, into new facilities what would it be talk to plenty of people <clears throat> have a look at plenty of different systems make sure whoever designs it and does the drawings knows what you want but also understands about dairy and they can give you pointers because that was one thing we used cow either davy from cow plan did the main design for it and absolutely brilliant i would recommend him to anyone his 3D video definitely got us our planning permission because people can't visualise a flat plan, really. And when you say 120 metre long shed, that sounds big. <laughs> so it definitely helped that. 
and then probably once you made the decision and got permissions and sort of pressed the go button, just don't mess about, just get on with it, get it done and get it paying back. There's no point these units that take 18 months to two years to build because it seems like it's going nowhere. That was one thing we were determined with. We were not letting it just sort of fester along almost and, oh, it'll happen. We put a deadline on it. Made worse when I bought a cow, so it, didn't, it had to happen. <laughs> Once the decision's made, all needs to get on with it. Don't hang about, otherwise it's, yeah, people get disenchanted with it if it takes too long. So that sounds like good advice there. And obviously it's been quite a tough time for, for, for many industries this year with COVID-19 and, and dairy farmers have not been immune to that. But do you see the future of dairy farmers being larger herds you know you're you're probably at the, at the top end of the average now and with hopes to get even bigger do you think that's the way the industry in the UK is going to go um I think there's a place for both the large and the smaller herds with the way prices are on average for especially for this year I would say probably larger herds have been able to run the economies of scale, spread the costs over more litres. But little herds can do things very well, very cheap for labour, especially if it's just family running it, and can be a very sustainable way to do it. But a lot of the problem with the smaller ones is that investment can be tricky because you've only got so many litres in essence. So it's a bit of a balancing act. But for us, that's... It didn't make sense unless we were over 300 cows to do what we did. So I think there's a place for both. I think the average will get bigger herds again, but I don't think just going bigger for the sake of going bigger is the way necessary to go. So obviously for the changes that have taken place, there is a considerable investment involved. Um, but, but what do you see as being your period of return on investment for that? Well, there's two parts to it. So we borrowed the money for it over 20 years, but we can pay back faster if we want to at no extra cost. And that's through the AMC, who've been brilliant throughout the whole thing, very accommodating. They understood the vision and went with us. But we did the figures originally, and we could have probably done it in 10 to 11 years payback, but it would have been tight for those 10 years like there wouldn't have been much money to spend on other investments like a calf shed that's needed and bits and pieces so we wanted to leave ourselves with a bit of flexibility and and finally i know that you were due to have an open day earlier in the year which unfortunately was cancelled um due to covid19 so i'm sure there'll be lots of the listeners that would love to come and look round. um and i know things are still really up in the air but are you hoping to reschedule that open day yep the open day was meant to be 19th of may this year but obviously we've not been able to have that because no gatherings etc etc but we're hoping next year probably about a similar time we'll try and have it if we're allowed to by then hopefully we will <laughs> but if people want need want to come and have a look at it for their own ideas for a parlor we're quite open to people coming and having a look if they give me a shout and send me a message whatever we can organize something well, thanks very much for talking to us, Patrick. Um, it was really interesting. I'm sure there'll be lots of people that'll be taking up that offer to come and have a look round. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much. 
big thank you to Patrick for taking the time to speak to me for this podcast. It's great to speak to someone who clearly has so much passion and enthusiasm for the dairy industry and its future. Many of us may well be slightly envious of the facilities at Beckside, but it is clear that a great deal of thought and work has gone into developing this first-class dairy farm. And that's it for this podcast. Make sure you subscribe via your podcast provider so that you can pick up the next episode of Have I Got Moves For You. So, from everyone at Farmers Guardian and CMEX, thank you for listening. <laughs>